Welcome to Antibodies. This is our 37th body sode, a segment where we discuss the research papers with the first or last authors of the article. Joining me today is my co-host, uh, Natalie Graham from the City of Hope Comprehensive Cancer Center. How are you doing, Natalie? Oh, pretty good. How about you? I am doing great today. The article we're going to be discussing today is titled, Eosinophils are an essential element of a type 2 immune axis that controls thymus regeneration. This paper is coming from the group of Dr. Graham Anderson at the Institute of Immunology and Immunotherapy at the University of Birmingham, UK. The first author of the article is Dr. Emily Cosway, and she's joining us today to discuss the article with us. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thank you for having me. It's a great opportunity to be able to talk through my latest paper with you all. We're really glad to have you here. Natalie, can you tell us, our audience, something about our guest today? All right. Well, uh, Emily got her medical science degree from the University of Birmingham. She later pursued a PhD at the University of Birmingham and University of Glasgow, investigating the role of accessory cells in the thymic microenvironment for central tolerance uh, tolerance and thymus regeneration. She is now doing her postdoctoral research focus on the mechanisms regulating thymus regeneration. Well, Does that sound all right? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. All right. Well, Natalie, have you got any funny stuff for us today? Yeah, um, I was just thinking about thymi, as it were. Um, you know what's similar between my thymus gland and my hope for humanity. What is it? It just gets smaller and smaller the older I get. <laughs> Damn, you just got a very dark turn into this <laughs> podcast. It's supposed to be very lightheaded. Anyway, also, you know what? Since we have Emily right here, I think it's a great time to ask her, Emily, is the plural thymi or thymuses? I mean, <laughs> people say both. Um, and to be honest, I flick between the two. So whichever you prefer the sound of, go for it. Either thymuses or thymi, whichever you like more. All right. We, we got this from somebody who works on thymuses and has to say the word every day. So I'll believe that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we start with the paper today, let's get through some of the terminology. And Emily, I'll need your help in defining some of these terms. So can we proceed with that? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. So the first term that we'll be talking a lot about today is eosinophils. Uh, Emily, what are these cells and maybe something that they do? Yeah, so eosinophils are a type of white blood cell. Um, in normal individuals, they make up about 0.5 to 1% of white blood cells. Um, and they have a key role in host defense against uh, parasitic infections. Um, they develop in the bone marrow and then they are released into the bloodstream where they can become recruited into different tissues upon inflammation and where there are sites of infection. Thanks a lot for that. And then another thing that we will be talking about in this paper is chemokines and some chemokine receptors. So Emily, what are these terms? So um, chemokines are a secreted 
protein. Um, there's a group of them under this umbrella term, chemokine, and they signal through cell surface G protein coupled receptors known as chemokine receptors. Um, and together they help to uh, direct the migration of cells. So cells use chemokines as a gradient to um, direct their, their movement. Okay, that, that looks like a great definition for chemokines and chemokine receptors. And the last one, we have these groups of cells, type 1 or type 2 or type 3 immune cells. Can you help me just with the type 1 and type 2 immune cells? How do we make this classification? Yeah, so broadly speaking, type 1 um, immune responses are thought to be protective sort of pro-inflammatory responses uh, driven mainly by interferon gamma. And these are typically against uh, intracellular pathogens and bacteria and viruses. Uh, whereas type 2 uh, immunity is thought to have more of an anti-inflammatory angle um, involving things like IL-10. Um, but mainly IL-4 and IL-13, um, typical type 2 associated cytokines. And these uh, are directed much more towards extracellular parasites and helminth infections. Thanks a lot for that. And I think with this terminology, we have some of the basic words covered for what we are going to encounter later in this podcast. <clears throat> so let me talk about the premise of this paper. As something we have discussed in detail in the past on this podcast, the thymus is required for T-cell maturation, negative selection, and Treg induction. And all these processes require a well-orchestrated series of steps. In one of our recent body sodes with Dr. Jessica Lancaster, we also talked about the alterations in the composition of thymic epithelial cells and the antigen-presenting cells in the thymus as we age. Well, turns out apart from age, there are physiological and environmental factors such as stress, pregnancy, infection, and malnutrition that affect thymic function in a negative way. While the age-associated changes are, reverse, uh, are irreversible and permanent, the physiological and environment-associated changes are reversible and offer, often trigger the process of thymic regeneration. Thymic regeneration is important because without this process, we may tend towards an immunocompromised state every time the thymus incurs damages or insults. This is the part that interests our authors the most. This is the broad question that they want to answer. What are some cellular and molecular changes that are involved in thymic regeneration? And before we go deep into this area, uh, Emily, can you tell us what are some of the challenging parts about thymic regeneration as somebody who studies thymus? Yeah, so um, there are many different models, as you mentioned, of thymus regeneration, such as an infection or pregnancy model. And we wanted to try and choose a model that was proven to work and re be reliable uh, with science. There's so many things that are out of your hands. So the m more that you can uh, control, the better, really, with, re uh, with regards to um, choosing models and things that, that are going to give you good results. Um, so we decided to work on a sublethal irradiation model, which had been studied a lot previously um, in, in labs trying to look at mechanisms of thymus regeneration. Um, but some of the problems with this model um, that we find and in general just studying thymus regeneration is that you are studying a regeneration process. So 
uh, after insult early on, what we find is that the thymus is actually really quite small. So you can be dealing with really small cell numbers. Uh, so sometimes you can be limited on what you can do at early stages um, with regards to have you got enough cells to, to do what you're aiming to do. Um, and also when you want to look at regeneration, it's all about time. So if you want to see long-term effects uh, of say an absence of a molecule you've got to give it a long period of time so for us we left some um, mice up to day 98 after damage so you're waiting quite a while um, sometimes if you if you want to trace out the recovery of the thymus to long time points um, so I'd say they're sort of the, the main logistical problems that that we face looking at regeneration those are quite some problems looks like it's a challenging thing to study <laughs> <laughs> you get to grips with it it's all right <laughs> i i hate those like you know 98 day experiments I, I i deal with something like that because of you know immunizations and it's like you can't even plan your life out that far it's like oh do i have something going on in 98 days i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and especially if it fails you just lost almost one third of your ear and you're gonna repeat that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was a bit like that when COVID came and we had to get rid of colonies. Oh. And we were like, no, we've been leaving <laughs> these for so long. Oh. <laughs> that COVID, damn it. <laughs> yeah. All right, I think with that, we can finally dive into the paper. To study thymic regeneration, uh, the authors utilize a model where adult wild-type mice are subletally irradiated to induce damage. As Emily mentioned, we will call this treatment the SLI treatment, to keep it simple, where SLI stands for sublethal irradiation. In both B6 and BALP C mice, the authors noticed a rapid decline in thymic cellularity, followed by a complete recovery in 35 days. So we have this model set up where you first first play around with the thymus, deal some damage, and after 35 days, there is spontaneous regeneration. Now, with this model, we can actually study what's going on behind it. To understand which cell types are involved in this regenerative process, the authors looked at cell types that showed an increase in the thymus one day after SLI. They found an increase in this type of cell, which is CD11B positive, Siglic F positive eosinophils, and these were increased in the thymus one day post SLI. Emily, I have two questions for you. First one, can you briefly walk us through the eosinophil classification and gating schemes? I have never worked with these cells, and I was assuming I would never have to talk about these ever in my life after my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. So I'm just curious, what are some markers that are typically used to study the cell type? So um, we're studying eosinophils in the thymus. So the, the main aim for us was to try and enrich the staining panel that we could to identify these cells, because most of the cells that you would look at in the thymus are double positive thymocytes. So really for us, they were just a pain and we wanted to get rid of them. Um, so a lot of our initial gating strategy is, is geared towards that. So we always gate on CD45 expressing hematopoietic cells. Um, we gate out CD4 and CD8 cells, so CD4 negative, CD8 negative cells, and um, we gate on those that don't express TCR beta, so we can get rid of any developing thymocytes. We also try to exclude red blood cells with a TER119 TER negative gate. 
Um, and then we start to positively identify the eosinophils using two main markers. So we then use CD11B and SIGLEC-F as uh, positive markers to identify eosinophils. And both of these have been used regularly within the literature um, to clearly identify eosinophils in, in many tissues. Um, some people sometimes use R5 receptor alpha or CCR3 to identify eosinophils, but we tried to stick to a, a well-established sort of classical identification of them. Thanks a lot for that. That's a very nice eradicating scheme for us. Then to my next question, were you expecting eosinophil numbers to go up in day one after SLI? Is it something that the existing literature already hints towards or was it a novel finding? Yeah, so there was a paper um, in PLOS One in 2010 from the Sant'Angelo group, uh, which suggested that eosinophils increased in the thymus, um, specifically in the cortex of the thymus. Uh, they looked around 16 hours or 24 hours after damage. Um, but what they did was they used quite a low dose for radiation. So they used one gray, um, whereas we actually use 4.25 grays of a radiation. Um, so we did have a bit of an idea that maybe there'd be some changes in innate immune cells. Uh, they, they did also look at sort of neutrophils and macrophages in this paper. Um, but we wanted to take that further and study uh, deeper into the mechanisms regulating regeneration. Uh, specifically, we found out to be eosinophils. Um, but we did also screen other innate immune cells ourselves and, and found some changes within the thymus. But the most striking of that being from the eosinophils. Okay, thanks a lot for that. Coming back to the paper, the authors were interested in understanding how important eosinophils are for thymic regeneration. For this purpose, the authors used a mouse model that lacks eosinophils. They observed that the eosinophil-deficient mice had significant impairment in thymic regeneration after SLI. There were reduced thymic epithelial cells, thymocytes and the thymus weight was reduced in these eosinophil deficient mice. With that, what we have seen in this figure is that thymic damage induced by SLI results in a sudden surge in intrathymic eosinophils and this, these eosinophils are required for thymic regeneration. With that, let's go into the next part. The authors were interested in understanding the mechanism that results in increasing the eosinophil thymic availability. There are two ways we can expect this increase to come about. One way is an increased expansion inside the thymus, and the second way is through recruitment from the periphery. If we talk about the second way, CCR3, which is a chemokine receptor, is expressed by eosinophils, and it helps in their migration. Using CCR3 as a starting point, the authors looked at CCR3 expressing eosinophils and they did find these cells in the thymus. They also noticed that CCR3 expression increased one day after SLI. To study how important this chemokine receptor was, they performed SLI on CCR3 knockout mice. What they found was that eosinophils were almost absent from the thymus in these mice after SLI. The authors also utilized a CCR3 antagonist, which was able to abrogate eosinophil recruitment into the thymus after SLI. Emily, this is very clean data, and 
was CCR3 your first guess into what this chemokine receptor candidate could be, or do you have others? And while we are at it, could you also tell us what are some other chemokine receptors that eosinophils regularly express? So we found that CCR3 has been described as the dominant receptor that's expressed by eosinophils, especially in a lot of allergy models. So this was our focus. Um, and it was also shown in a really old paper to be important for recruitment of eosinophils into the thymus. So for us, we focused really on CCR3 um, as being the main receptor uh, controlling the recruitment of eosinophils in the thymus. Um, and we went on to actually have a bit of a look at the ligands regulating uh, this recruitment um, with our paper sort of highlighting ultimately uh, CCL11 being the main mediator of eosinophil recruitment into the thymus. Um, but we did look at other uh, eotaxins, so CCL11's eotaxin 1 alternatively known as. Um, there's also the presence of eotaxin 2 and eotaxin 3. Um, which we looked at in the thymus, actually, eotaxin 2, so CCL24, um, was not detected in the stroma or in the thymus, and eotaxin 3 or CCL26 is a pseudogene, so also we didn't find it in the thymus. Um, so our focus really was on the relationship between CCR3 expression and CCL11 or eotaxin, as it's otherwise known, expression. Eotaxin sounds like such a convenient name. That's you would remember yeah. exactly what it is taxing, <laughs> what it's attracting. Yeah. Eotaxin, like CCL eleven, <laughs> just a random number. Oh man, immunologists and their namings. But it's so hard, right? To come like you also want standardization, but at the same at the same time you also want a name that probably describes the function. Yeah, and I think you're also aware that people may know it by its old name, so you end up just saying two names, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so with these data, the authors have indicated that CCR3-mediated recruitment is one of the ways eosinophils get into the thymus after SLI-induced damage. Well, let's move on to the next figure. In different tissues, the main driver of the expression of eosinophil chemoattractants is interleukin-4 receptor signaling. This receptor consists of the interleukin-4 receptor alpha chain and the interleukin-13 receptor alpha-1 subunit. And as you might ex expect, this receptor can bind to IL-4 or interleukin-4 and IL-13. As this receptor is expressed in the thymus, the authors asked if it was responsible for controlling the IL-4 or CCR3 ligand axis. And eosinophil availability in the thymus and therefore if this IL-4 signaling might be responsible or important for thymic regeneration. So to handle this question first, the authors showed that in the absence of IL-4 receptor alpha, thymic regeneration was impaired. This reduction was accompanied by a reduction of eosinophil numbers in the thymus. Given these observations, the authors asked if in the absence of IL-4 receptor alpha signaling, the expression of eosinophil chemoattractant chemokines were also impaired. First, the authors noted that CCL11, or eotaxin, as Emily mentioned, was one of the main chemokines expressed in the thymic microenvironment, and it was particularly expressed by this cell type called MTEC low cells in, the th in, the, in homeostasis and during thymic regenerations. 
then in the absence of IL-4 receptor alpha chain, the expression of CCL11 by MTEC low cells was also impaired. Emily, this looks like a subpopulation of MTEC low and MTEC high cells that are involved in these. Can you give us a quick rundown of how these are gated and what does the low and high mean for these MTEC? So if I'm correct, MTEC stands for medullary thymic epithelial cells. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so within the thymus, we have stromal cells that sort of form the network for developing thymocytes to develop against, um, so they're cortical thymic epithelial cells or medullary thymic epithelial cells. Uh, medullary thymic epithelial cells are categorized as MTEC high or MTEC low, and that's based on their expression of MHC class 2 and CD80. All right, so it's it's an indication of their antigen-presenting capabilities. All right, yeah. so I'll just rehash something that I said before. In the absence of IL-4 alpha receptor alpha, um, IL-4 receptor alpha chain signaling, the CCL11 expressed by MTEC low cells was reduced. Now to further demonstrate the involvement of IL-4 during thymic regeneration, the authors administered IL-4 after SLI. And this treatment increased the thymic cellularity and, in, and accelerated regeneration in concordance with their previous results. In conclusion, IL-4 signaling may induce the expression of CCL11 by these MTEC low cells, and this phenomenon favors eosinophil migration and expansion, which eventually leads to thymic regeneration. Emily, we know that IL-4 receptor can also bind to IL-13. Do you know if there's any associated role of IL-13 in the process of thymic regeneration? Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, IL-4 and IL-13 combine to IL-4 receptor alpha. Um, and what we go on to explore is the expression of IL-4 and IL-13 in the thymus um, by NKT cells. And so we find that there is expression of both IL-4 and IL-13 um, within the thymus, predominantly by NKT cells. And so even though we haven't explored a role directly for IL-4 and IL-13 um, within the thymus, sorry, rather we haven't explored a role for IL-13 um, due to its ability to bind to IL-4 receptor to a similar capacity as IL-4, we would like to think that it will have a, a similar role um, in regeneration as we've shown for R4 in this process. Um, I mean, ideally, it, we would be able to look at R4 and R13 knockouts separately and also together. Um, I know within the paper, we show some experiments using recombinant R4, um, which we could also repeat using recombinant R13. And it'd be nice to see if the effect um, was to the same extent as we see with recombinant R4, but I would definitely hypothesize that there would be an effect of R13 in this process, given the capability of it to bind to R4 receptor and the knowledge that we need R4 receptor in this process. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It just, I, I'm assuming it's extra work and this paper was already there's already a lot of data in this. <laughs> to add I think there's always just so many options that you can do. You have to draw the line somewhere. Right. Yeah, I <laughs> well, completely do, understand. <laughs> do those mice exist? Uh, those knockouts? Yeah. Okay. 
So yeah, it it was just getting everything in one place. Um, I mean, it, throughout the paper, we used so many different strains yeah. um, that we were already almost at our limit. <laughs> well, that's for your next paper, right? That's for your next paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've always got to leave something for the next one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like you actually want to like consciously leave things for next paper. So when the reviewers ask for it, you have this in your head. Yes, that's for the next paper. Whatever you're going to suggest, that's for the next paper. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot for that, Emily. And Natalie, do you want to take the next parts of the results? Oh, yeah, for sure. So uh, now we're looking into those MTech populations. Uh, previous studies have shown that, you know, these come from our air expressing cells. And uh, these give the ability to, you know, express all these different antigens to promote negative selection and thus eliminate all of those autoreactive T cell clones. So in this population, particularly in the MTEC low population, we can find these things called thymic tuft cells. So these cells were originally described in the gut to function for promoting type 2 immunity. Um, and in the thymus, uh, they're known to activate the ILC2 cells and uh, INKT cells. So the authors next investigate if the thymic tuft cells were required for the activation of the type 2 immunity um, that you see in thymic regeneration. The authors found that although some of the tough cells express the CCL11, um, they weren't required for thymic regeneration. And this was shown using a cell, uh, a, a knockout mouse that lacks the transcription, uh, transcription factor required to make tough cells called the P-O-U-T, uh, sorry, P-O-U-2-F-3 knockout mouse. So in conclusion, tough cells are not essential for thymus recovery after damage. Emily, can you tell us a little bit more of the role of tough cells in thymus physiology? Yeah, so um, in the thymus, tuft cells are a relatively new discovery, a very hot topic when they first came out. Um, there were two main papers uh, in 2018 that both came out in Nature uh, that sort of put the spotlight on these cells. So there was a Miller-Anderson paper and a Bornstein a Bramson paper um, and what they showed was that their uh, type of stromal cell as you mentioned within the MTech low population and their terminally differentiated cells and they're thought to be the sole source of R25 within the thymus. Um, some of these pass through the air expressing stage some of them don't in their development and what's been shown is that in the thymus an absence of tuft cells correlates to reduced NKT cells uh, which are the main R4 producers within the thymus, which we, we've also shown. Um, and they showed that really tuft cells were needed for NKT cells within the thymus. Um, a actual follow-on paper from someone in our group, um, Beth Lucas, in 2020 that was published in Nature Comms, showed that lymphotoxin beta receptor signaling was actually necessary for the development of tuft cells. And in turn, when you didn't have a lymphotoxin beta receptor, you had reduced tuft cells and she confirmed a reduction in NKT cells as well. Um, so tuft cells were then shown to influence NKT cells through their expression of R25 because NKT2 express um, R17RB, so the, the R25 receptor. Um, so our lab sort of 
we're able to reinforce and build on some of these findings. And I'm sure there's a lot more that needs to be uncovered around tuft cells in the thymus. As I say, they're, they're a relatively new discovery. Very cool. So moving on to the next figure, uh, kind of at this point in the paper, it sounds like you guys are just going down the list of cells that could be important to thymic regeneration. So at this point, you've gotten to a population called the invariant natural killer T cells, INKT, and these cells express the marker CD1D. And now, and you know that the INK2 subset secretes a lot of IL-4 and IL-13 that are cytokines that are crucial for several thymic processes, as you were talking about. So to investigate how IL-4, IL-13, and these natural killer cells are uh, changed during thymic regeneration, the authors used mice that expressed a green fluorescent reporter whenever IL-4 was expressing, or a mouse that expressed a green fluorescent reporter when IL-13 was expressing. And they exposed these mice to the SLI treatment and found that IL-4 and IL-13 expression increased after SLI, and the populations that tended to express IL-4 and IL-13 were indeed INKT cells, which makes total sense. To verify this finding, the authors also looked at how mice that could not generate INKT cells, so these CD1D knockout mice, responded to the SLI. The authors found that these mice had fewer thymic eosinophils at day one in comparison to the wild-type mice, and that after 35 days, there was less total thymus cellularity, including fewer CTEX, MTEX, and thymocytes. So together, these data show that IL-4 and IL-13 secretion by the INKT cells is critical for thymic regeneration. Did I get everything right with that one? Yeah, All right. good job, that was a big one. <laughs> Well, it's, it's tying all those little niblets together. So, all right. So uh, between these figures, the authors postulate a model where the INKT cells are important for bringing in the eosinophils in order to boost thymic regeneration for helping. But we're still shaking out all the pieces in this puzzle. Uh, there may be other cells in this thymic bucket brigade. Uh, you know, once the eosinophils are there, we also need to activate them. So in figure seven, the authors hypothesize that the ILC2 cells which secrete IL-5, might be the cells that are activating those eosinophils. So after all, IL-5 is known to be important for regulating the function of eosinophils. And we also know that ILC2 um, cells are both present in the thymus and they make lots of IL-5. So to look at IL-5 production, the authors used a mouse expressing RAG2 GFP with a mouse that expresses the red fluorescent reporter TD tomato upon expression of IL-5. So uh, could you please explain to me, Emily, why are we using these two different colors under two different uh, genes to look at the expression? So for us, um, to study the production of R5 by RC2, we needed the TD tomato aspect because this is an R5 TD tomato reporter. But as I mentioned before, within the thymus, there are so many cells that aren't innate cells, so mainly thymocytes, that sort of blur the picture of what's happening with the eosinophils. So what we needed to do um, is utilize the RAG2 GFP, which is a recombinase activating gene reporter. Um, it's a timer protein that degrades uh, with time. So as the thymocytes develop, they express the highest levels of RAG GFP, and then over time, um, this reduces. So it gave us the ability to actually gate out these newly developed thymocytes within the thymus and to enrich on those another 
those other innate cell populations such as ILCs that we wanted to specifically study. So it was just another way for us to really enrich on the, the key ILC population that we wanted to look at. That's very cool. Again, using like a million different strains of mice to piece together this puzzle. That's amazing. So using this system, the authors were able to find that the ILC2 populations in the thymus did indeed secrete IL-5 during thymic regeneration. Using a mouse that could not generate ILC2 cells, the authors also found that these ILC2 deficient mice uh, could not recruit or activate eosinophils in the thymus uh, and was less capable of thymic regeneration than their ILC2 competent counterparts. So by and large, these data show that the ILC2 cells are connected in some way, likely through their expression of IL-5, to eosinophil activation and optimal thymic regeneration. Cool. So to flesh out whether IL-5 production was the missing link in this uh, model of thymic regeneration, the authors dosed SLI-treated mice with the same setup they did for the IL-4 earlier in the paper. Using this dosing strategy, the authors found that IL-5 increases thymic eosinophils and improves thymus recovery in a dose-dependent manner. Further, using ILC2-deficient mice with IL-5 helped to rescue the defects in eosinophil recruitment and thymic recovery. Most importantly, the authors also used this dosing strategy in mice missing B-cells or eosinophils. Though IL-5 helped increase thymus regeneration in the B-cell-deficient mice, it did not in the eosinophil-deficient mice, demonstrating the necessity of eosinophils in thymic recovery. So, in summary, the data show that the IL-5 supplied by the IL ILC2 cells is critical for activating those eosinophils, which is further critical for optimal thymic regeneration. So um, could, you, could you tell us a little bit more about IL-5 and the role in eosinophils in uh, your model? Yeah, so um, it's well known that IL-5 is important in supporting eosinophil maintenance and survival. It's also important in their development in the bone marrow. So in experiments where you add in recombinant R5, you're boosting them at, at multiple angles. So you're going to enhance their development, but you're also going to be able to enhance their activation. Um, and so it sort of works at both levels. So it's a pivotal uh, interleukin necessary for both the development and activity of eosinophils. Very cool. If so I, if I'm understanding this right, so... IL-5 is important for the eosinophil maintenance generation and IL-4 is what's going to connect it through the chemokine axis and get them here. Yeah, so in my story, the, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of different interleukins going on. Um, but the premise of it is that IL-4 signaling on thymic stromal cells, in particular MTECLO, is needed to produce eotaxin CCL11 and this is necessary after damage to recruit in the eosinophils. Once the eosinophils are in the thymus they then need to be activated and maintained and this is through the R5 provision by RC2. Ah I see okay for, for a while I thought R5 was required at the bone marrow stage but looks like no that's not the case it's when they are R5 is needed for their development in the bone marrow okay, as well. Okay so I was only half wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a question. Um, you're kind of talking about this in a stepwise fashion. So are they induced, uh, the ILC2 cells, are they induced to express IL-5 upon the presence of eosinophils? Or are they just constitutively doing this the whole time? And if there's a eosinophil there, then like, 
great. Yeah, so um, this is really what we're looking into a bit more now, Mm -hmm. uh, following on from this. So we obviously covered a lot of ground in our first paper, but there's still a lot more that we can cover. So looking into aspects of RC2 activation within the thymus, um, we mentioned tuft cells and their provision of IL-25, but we showed in my work that we've already discussed that we don't need tuft cells in regeneration. So there are other um, alarmins they're known as, uh, which are thought to activate ALCs, um, mainly R33. And this is something that we're interested in looking at within the thymus and seeing whether this is affected after damage and what impact that has on ALC2s um, and their production of R5. In other tissues, it's thought to enhance their activation and boost their production of R5, which obviously in our story would then knock on to have a, a beneficial effect on the eosinophils, which we know are essential for regeneration. Um, but it's just proving that's the case. Yeah. Well, I mean, like any good paper, it, it really has cracked open a lot more questions. Um, you, you were talking about that IL-4 and IL-13 axis. Could you tell us more about its expression in aging, given that you know thymic involution happens over time as you age? Yeah, so um, there's obviously a lot of interest in the process of thymic involution. It's a big field of study and people are often um, just want to know what what will happen if we always have a big thymus and how we can get to that stage. And um, currently a lot of research is just studying the mechanisms that regulate the regeneration process, such as my work. And then I guess once that's established a bit more, it'll give people the opportunity to see what the knock-on effects of that are. Um, The role for IL-4 and IL-13 in this process, um, I'm unsure of, uh, to be honest, but both of these are type 2 associated cytokines. So um, their potential role within the thymus with regards to aging is something that would be interesting to look at given that we've flagged them for a potential role in regeneration um, but not something that that I've looked into or I'm that aware that other people have looked into yet. Well very cool well an- another paper one day. <laughs> um, so when I think eosinophils, I definitely think of allergies. So is there some kind of relationship between you know, parasitic infections, allergies, and thymic involution based on your work? Well, I mean, infection is another model of thymus involution. I mean, typically um, the story goes that the thymus needs to involute during infection because you don't want the thymus to be exposed to um, the antigens from the pathogens uh, within your body because it could lead to the deletion of T-cells that you'd otherwise need to be able to fight these infections. So that's sort of a natural process um, that occurs. The exposure of um, the thymus to pathogens leads to its involution. Um, And the the relationship between um, parasites and thymus involution is known to be either direct or indirect. So the presence of um, infections within the body, the the byproducts of fighting these infections can lead to effects on T-cell proliferation, which may be responsible for the mechanisms 
driving the thymus involution up upon infection um, and also changes in uh, glucocorticoid hormones can also affect the size of the thymus. Uh, so these are definitely related. Um, specifically with regards to allergies, um, I'm not too sure about the effect of allergens on, on the thymus, um, but definitely with regards to infection and thymus involution definitely occurs and is a good other alternative model for studying regeneration. That's, that's really interesting, actually. I didn't know that. So once something like this happens, what are the signals that are sent that activate you know, your NKT cells in the thymus? What's going to trigger this cascade? Yeah, so um, the thing we need to remember about NKT cells is that they recognize glycolipid um, expressed in CD1D rather than peptide um, inside MHC molecules, and they have semi-invariant T-cell receptors. Um, we know that NKT2 produce R4, which is a key finding in my paper, um, but they need continual T-cell receptor stimulation for this production of R4. Um, in the steady state. And what was shown by a paper from Chris Hogquist's lab um, is that macrophages are um, a prominent innate cell that are necessary to help stimulate NKT cells in their production of R4 within the thymus, and that dendritic cells can also support um, this process of NKT ac activation within the thymus. So it takes a village, it takes a thymus. <laughs> Everybody contributes. Yeah, it's a whole group effort. And I guess that probably just highlights that it's a really important process for everything mm -hmm. to be coordinated and for so many cells to be involved. Uh, it must be doing something really important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there's so many things that can go wrong. I, I'm amazed that anything goes right ever. Uh, yeah, right. right? <laughs> the fact that the fact that anomaly is an exception than the norm that shows you how well this thing is coordinated and how there are checks and balances to cover up for issues. Well, I'll I'll, yeah. st I'll stop interrogating you in a second. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to know, uh, kind of wrapping this up, is there any other context described where eosinophils may have a role during tissue regeneration and repair? Yeah, actually, um, there are two papers uh, that look at eosinophils in tissue repair. And when we stumbled across these papers, this is what made us think maybe eosinophils have a role in the thymus. So um, both of these papers are from AJ Chawler's lab. Um, one of them looks at muscle regeneration. Um, so in this paper, they use a cardiotoxin administration to damage muscles. And what they showed was that R4 and R13 facilitated muscle recovery. And that was through the targeting of fibroadipocyte progenitors and driving their proliferation. And what they showed really clearly was that it was eosinophils that were the source of R4 driving this process. Um, and the second paper, they looked at liver regeneration. And here they used a carbon tetrachloride injury model for uh, liver damage. And they showed there was a big increase in eosinophils migrating into the liver after damage induction and that they again produced R4 to drive uh, R4 receptor alpha expressing hepatocytes into proliferation to support liver regeneration. So eosinophils having a role in tissue regeneration is not 
a new concept because it's been shown in a couple of other tissues. However, very little was ever shown around eosinophils even doing anything in the thymus. So uh, their role in thymus regeneration is a really novel new finding. Um, yeah. Wow, I, I have a whole new appreciation for these eosinophils. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, well, Jatin, do you want to wrap this up for us? Yes. Before I before I will go through the summary, I just want to say that there are these two kinds of papers, one that already built up on I, something I know, and then there is these papers that introduced me to a whole new area that I wasn't aware of. And this is the latter kind of paper. And Oh, that's really nice to yeah. hear. Thank you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I, I had no idea Eosinophils did that. And this is something definitely I'm going to bring up to my dinner table conversations and probably lose some friends. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, this, is, this was an amazing paper. There's a lot of work. As Natalie mentioned before, 500,000 mouse models used and have <laughs> mechanisms that are very clearly delineated. So what have we talked about? in this time. Let's rehash everything. Eosinophils are an important part of an interthymic network of cells that help in thymic regeneration. These cells express CCR3 and are recruited to the thymus through this expression. INKT cells express IL-4 which signals on the MTEX or the medullary thymic epithelial cells to produce the CCL11 chemokine which is also called eotaxin. It is this eotaxin that drives eosinophil recruitment into the thymus. Once eosinophils are in the thymus, ILC2s or innate lymphoid cells too, activate them through IL-5 production to drive regeneration of the thymus. An absence of eosinophils prevents thymic regeneration, showing that they are absolutely pivotal in driving this process. Ooh, that was really good. That was really good. And I can't, I can't tell you, like, just knowing a lot more about eosinophils than what I learned in QB on the first page, it's, it's great. Like, a whole new area where they are responsible apart from parasitic infections, which, you know, if you ask somebody what eosinophils do, I think that's their first response and probably their only response if that person is me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or, no, or I think it's not just you. I think it's the vast majority of people. I was saying earlier that uh, I think when you just skipped out for a moment that trying to convince people of a role for eosinophils in the thymus was a, a quite a big job. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah. I can imagine it's not something people associate with these cells. And I don't know how many labs study eosinophils, but I'm guessing people are mostly focused on the lymphocytes and eosinophils, well, they don't get as much attention as they probably deserve. Yeah, I think, to be honest, as soon as we got the double gatter mice that lacked eosinophils and we saw at that day 98 time point that the thymus was absolutely tiny in comparison to the wild type controls, we just thought they've got to be doing something. <laughs> yeah. Before we wrap up, I just want to know, how do you pronounce that P-O-U-2-F-3 mouse that lacked tuft cells? How, how, exactly like that oh, exactly. it's the AU2F3 knockout it's the worst thing I've ever had to say I feel yeah. like a robot Like, yeah. prove that you're a human say yeah. this word you know? <laughs> yeah imagine like, saying that in science talks or just presenting your data and you stumble onto that and you know, half your brain cells are dead <laughs> 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 like, 
<laughs> All right. So I think this would be a good point to wrap up the discussion. Thanks a lot, Emily, for joining us today. Uh, thanks, Natalie, for the wonderful discussion. For our audience, if you're interested to know more about our science communication endeavors, please check out antibodies.org. You can find our blogs and podcasts there. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email us at antibodies1 at gmail.com. With that, I'm your host, Jatin Sharma, signing off until we meet again. Bye-bye. Bye. See you later.